Hi, this is Deborah Trinelli. You may remember me as Bobby Ewing's secretary, Phyllis Wapner on Dallas. You are listening to the Dallas 40th Anniversary Celebration here on Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. trouble, Harry? Uh, at first. Then I convinced him that he ought to cooperate. Call your gorilla off, J.R. Yeah, don't insult the sergeant. You might hurt his feelings. You ready to talk to me, boy? Sure, J.R. What would you like to know? What are you and Kristen trying to do? I don't know what you're talking about. She told me everything. You trying to blackmail old J.R.? I don't know what she told you, but I don't know anything, J.R. Alan, I didn't bring you here to listen to you try to weasel out of this. I told you once before, you're finished in this town. Get out of Dallas, right now. Who do you think you're talking to, J.R.? You can't do a damn thing to me, and you know it. Just how do you think you're going to make a living? I'm an attorney, J.R. I'll get a job. There must be someone in this town you don't own. Well, you're not going to work in this town, or any other town for that matter. Harry, what is the penalty for rape? What are you talking about? That woman you raped, uh, what, it was a couple of months ago, wasn't it? That's right, Mr. Ewing. You can't get away with this. There is no woman. Harry, we got a woman yet? Blonde, brunette, or redhead? See, Alan. It's just a matter of time. All right, Harry. You just leaned too hard on the wrong man, J.R. Get him out of here. This is Randy Powell. You may remember me as Alan Beam on Dallas. You're listening to the Dallas 40th Anniversary Celebration here on Hollywood and Beyond with host Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, friends and listeners. This is your host, actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Welcome to the show. My guest today has an extensive list of appearances on numerous television shows such as Fantasy Island, The Love Boat, T.J. Hooker, Days of Our Lives, and The Amazing Spider-Man, not to mention Logan's Run. On Dallas, though, he portrayed Alan Beam, 
who assisted J.R. Ewing in destroying his enemy Cliff Barnes' political ambitions while setting his sights on Lucy Ewing's fortune. Ultimately, he even became a suspect of the shooting of J.R. Ewing. I am so excited to speak with him today, and that would be my guest, Randy Powell. Randy, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks a lot, Stephen. Thanks for asking. Well, it's wonderful to have you here and to speak with you. Thank you so much. And uh, how have you been doing lately? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. We're, uh, I've been, um, gosh, doing, doing lots of uh, exports. That's what a lot of my uh, work is now. Um, I still uh, occasionally go out on auditions and do the odd commercial and so forth. But uh, um, I think that was the days doing Dallas. That was probably the peak of my uh, acting career. Well, you did an outstanding job. I've always remembered your character. Um, and uh, you were full of uh, so many interesting scenes and moments. And you really gave a strong performance. And one of the reasons I'm so honored to have you on the show today. But I thought before we discussed Alan Beam and Dallas, I thought I would ask you, when did your interest in acting first develop? Well, I think... Uh, I- <laughs> If I have to think about that, it was very young because I was always, my mother liked to say I was always about a block ahead of her and uh, quite, quite noisy and uh, loved to, uh, whenever we'd go visit a museum or something, they would, they would just have to really do, uh, work hard to keep up. (laughs) And uh, uh, I always had a great interest in science and stuff like that and uh uh but but always pretty boisterous i'm not a quiet little guy it's still still a nut my wife would tell you that <laughs> so you were very curious at a young age yeah ab- absolutely yeah that's true uh in fact i could have gone toward in the direction of science but uh i met uh, even in high school i had a really good drama teacher I think the first play I was in was Every Man playing Every Man, uh, so I, I got I got hooked kind of early. I think so. Uh, that's why I went that direction. Well, it sounds like you must be very intelligent too, if you were possibly headed into a career <laughs> of science. <laughs> that that probably helped you uh, with memorizing lines, no doubt. Yeah. Well, there there's a trick with with. Memorizing line, lines I discovered a long time ago, and that's, I don't know, you just kind of quiet yourself down. It's a kind of meditative state, and just let the lines in. Read them once, and they're there. So it, they're, they're, everybody finds their own way to, uh, to learn lines. Well, that's true, but uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, there is different approaches, and when you find one that really works, it's, it's pretty wise to stick with it. Um, uh, as you as one goes about their career, well, it sounds like yeah. you uh, developed an interest in acting at a young age. And while I was researching some of your background, um, of course, uh, I came across some things I just was not aware of. And I read an article; uh, it must have been from a newspaper, I believe, that mentioned that you had done a play in college where all of you rehearsed for several several months. In fact, I believe it was seven months, but there were only three performances. That's correct. And I had one line. And it was a long line. <laughs> I, yeah, from, that's well, that's well, true. <laughs> like, like, like two or three pages with no punctuation. The play is Waiting for Godot. Oh, wow. And, uh, by Samuel Beckett. And I, 
back then, this was this was back in the say I think it would have been about in the early seventies, something like that. Um, and Beckett at that point was beginning to be really honored as a, a groundbreaking playwright. Uh, but playing Lucky in that in that play uh, took that. Now that line took a long time to to learn. Uh, I but by bet. the time we finished it, there was no other way that the words could be ordered. It was really poetry, or really the way he had written it. Uh, wow. Just tremendous experience. That was that was really fun. It was a it was a um, uh, the kind of a, a repertory uh, a group but um we were not giving our performances to the public very often and there was a they made an exception with this uh program we were supposed to be uh just for about three years not performing in public but they liked the what came out what uh the, the result, the quality of this Waiting for Godot production. Uh, so they did let us do it three times for the public. Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know what? Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of a line being that long before. I mean, so you basically just kept talking and talking until you were completed with the sentence. Uh, well, yes, that's right. It, it, it's it, If you look at the play... He's just going back and forth. It's almost stream of consciousness without, it's not really sentences, just phrases thrown all together, but they all make sense. They all go to, you understand uh, what uh, Beckett is trying to say when you work on a footnet line. <laughs> and, and that's probably a line that you, uh, a very long line that you would not want to uh, mess up too much or forget where your place is because then you could well, be in big trouble. <laughs> But who would know? You know, that's that's right. I would know, but uh, but the and the director, of course, who was and, another student in our program. And that's part of the key of performing, isn't it? Especially on stage. Um, I was always taught that look, the audience, unless they're a hundred percent familiar with the work, isn't necessarily going to know that you made a mistake or forgotten a line, and you just sure. have to stay in character, and then they will go along on the journey with you. The essence is really behavior. That's really what you're hired to do and when I get later on, when I get to be uh, paid for the work. Uh, and what I always felt like I had to do was totally be, uh, I, worked, I worked with some actors, I'm trying to remember how it was. Uh, later on when I worked on TV, uh, uh, this guy, gosh, what was it, Ron? I can't remember his name now, but... Every time we would do a scene, uh, I would he would almost throw me off because it was so realistic. His behavior was so naturalistic. I didn't think he was doing a line. <laughs> and that's that's really what you want to do. You, it, it's got to be just conversation. Like you don't know what you're going to say next. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you had some... Uh uh, very uh, high quality training and, and really was learning the craft in really uh, positive ways. And, uh, you know, you had a wonderful approach to what you were doing. When did the decision to move to Hollywood um, first enter the equation? Uh, when I was in college, I worked uh, summer stock in the summers, uh, a couple of summers on Cape Cod and Provincetown. And the last summer was in Rockford, Illinois at a repertory company there and um the guy who ran that uh 
that company, the, the director, had some connections with Hollywood. Uh, an actor, even these days, if you're if you're going to start out, you need to start out either basically in Hollywood or New York, or a, a repertory company, say like uh, the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, uh, uh, or the Alley. Uh, you have to start out at a at a place where you're going to really be working at a high level. New York and Los Angeles give you the the uh, connections to to start making a living at. So, because uh, Knox Fowler was the name of the guy at Rockford, uh, unfortunately no longer with us, brilliant director, uh, leader of a company, uh, had had a, a couple of connections in Hollywood, so that's why I went out here. And was that your first time uh, in Los Angeles? I think I'd been here when I was 12 with the family. I see. <laughs> we did a tour of the West Coast, you know, but no, the first, the first time as an adult, yeah. Wow. Well, it must have been a very exciting time for you, like you described all the possibilities. And, um, and when you first arrived, and eventually your early work, uh, a lot of interesting programs. And what was some of your early work that you remember the first few projects that you did that stick out on your mind today? Well, you mentioned Love Boat, and, and that's yes. kind of a, an interesting uh, part, because it was a doctor from a small town in Iowa. Well, I'm from a small town in Iowa. My father was a doctor, so I kind of understood that uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, kind of personality, I guess. So uh, it was almost you might even call it typecasting. That was that was an interesting little thing to do. Um, Logan's Run was really fun to do. Uh, I got I got really friendly with uh, DC Fontana, who was the story editor, uh, and wrote some of the scripts for that for that uh, short-lived science fiction show. Uh, and she really encouraged me. In fact, when the show was canceled at that point, I was in the middle of writing a script. She was very uh, encouraging about uh, uh, all of us contributing to the show. It seems like an interesting show, and I say that because I've seen some photos and some clips, um, and I just want to see more. Um, but it seems like it's kind of hard to to track down these days for some reason. Logan's Run is available through Netflix. Oh, great. Well, this is good to know. Like two or three uh, DVDs or something. We did 14 episodes, and <laughs> they saw it more in New Zealand than we did in the United States. I think they ran the 14 episodes once, and New Zealand ran it just right away, twice. Wow. So, Well, it seems like a very interesting show. I'm glad to know that it's on Netflix, so I'll certainly check yeah. that out soon. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, going back to The Love Boat, you know what, Randy, isn't it interesting to think of all of the guest stars over the years that uh, people uh, uh, that guest starred on the show at different times of their career some of these people would go on to to become um, you know known for you know bigger roles and, and others were already really established and I think that's a wonderful thing to have that kind of program for actors it, you know if you look at it from an acting standpoint sure I understand I, I was watching Fred Astaire tap dancing last night on an old movie on uh, TMC and he was somebody who came on uh, love boat and right you know the really tail end of his career uh, 
but that that was just great to be able to see uh, some of these old performers who who were right at the right at the twilight of their lives, uh, able to be seen by uh, some fans at, at the end, kind of. Thing. Wow. Yes, that would be another big time bonus. I mean, Fred Astaire. Wow, what a classic um, uh, and such such a talented uh, uh, dancer. Uh, just so unforgettable. So. When we shift over to your character, Alan Beam, on Dallas, a rising lawyer. Well, you know what, Randy? I don't think Alan Beam would have been the candidate to put them in a more positive light. Do you? I think you're right about that. Definitely. I, in fact, I don't even... Uh, I, I, when I, people ask me, so who was this character you played on Dallas? I said, he, well, he was J.R.'s dirty tricks lawyer, you know, it's, not even that he was like he was doing anything above board. Well, that w- that's a good description, and um, and once again, you just did such a fantastic job. Now, had you viewed Dallas before your audition? Good question. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I, I would. I'm more of a science fiction kind of guy, or uh, uh, and just hadn't watched the, the program before. Well, but we, you know, the show was the, rising uh, in popularity sure. by the time you arrived on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was, I think it was, the ratings were okay. Um, at that point, they were doing 23 episodes in a season. And, and, and the, the ratings were good. So they, they said, okay, here's money. The network came, uh, CBS came to uh, Lorimar, who was doing the program, and said, here's money for two more episodes. So the producers put their heads together and tried to think, what can we do? What, how, how can we, what can we do in these last two episodes with the money that CBS gave us? So they decided, I know, let's shoot JR. And they ended up making every single person in the show, basically, uh, except the dog, uh, one of the uh, uh, suspects for uh, who shot JR. And it was hilarious because that's, if you look at it, it was just tacked on at the end of the season. And it got to be so, um, I don't know, such big... uh, uh, publicity for this uh, this Who Shot Jr. thing. You couldn't I couldn't go anywhere. It was it, you'd get recognized everywhere. It was uh, it was really funny. So you were experiencing that as well. People were asking you, "Hey, did you shoot Jr.? Yeah, <laughs> you know, meeting your character." And, and you know, I didn't know. They didn't, they didn't tell any of us who did it. Actually, they shot. They uh, did footage of each one of us shooting a gun, and nobody found out till the night of the. Uh, airing of the episode that it was Mary Crosby. And were you surprised that it was her, or did it kind of make sense to you? Oh, it definitely makes it makes sense when you think about it. But uh. Well, um, I will backtrack a little bit to you when you first arrived on the show, but I did want to add this, since we're already discussing this, and thanks for sharing all that. It's very interesting. Uh, it makes me think of a scene with you and Mary uh, where basically the detective that assisted J.R. and and, and um, you know, such a powerful character, J.R. Ewing, to have his hand in the Dallas Police Department. That always intrigued me. So this uh, crooked detective comes in and, and makes a threat to uh, both your character and, uh, of course, Kristen, saying that you both have 24 hours to get out of town. And that's the moment where she said, 
I'll kill him. And you said uh, along the lines, well, get in line. There's a, some of us that are way ahead of you. Yeah, it was get in line. That was I remember that. That was a line. Yes, and that was quite a moment. And, and your character was, uh, of course, very angry at that point. And, and then, like you said, there was many suspects, which was part of the brilliance of that storyline. But when you first joined the show, here's what's interesting to me. The character of J.R. Ewing was rising in power. It's not that he didn't have power, but he was rising more and more in power. And it's interesting because it took Bobby, his brother, uh, portrayed by Patrick Duffy, and others in the family a long time to really realize how devious J.R. could be. And that's because he, he hid things so well. Of course, over time, that would all change. But you came on the show at a very interesting time. He's rising in power. Your character is assisting him to, uh, uh, you know, to go about uh, what needs to be done and deals and whatnot. And I found it interesting. You're portraying a lawyer, and one of the, the first things I noticed was that your character had a pipe, which you don't often really see on television very much anymore. That's right. That's right. That was a <laughs> suggestion. Uh, I threw that in. I think one day we were. I we just wanted something, some kind of character business. But uh, I think he probably would have. If, if, if you think about the character, he probably would be half pipe, half weapon. Uh, you know, it's like a yes. blowpipe or something like that with uh, uh, poison darts. <laughs> well, and, and 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 you could tell that your character was boy, he was going to move up the ladder no matter what it took, and and uh, and he was having dollar uh, signs in his eyes, no doubt about it. But I'll tell you what really intrigued me was the storyline where Jr. had your character manipulate Cliff Barnes, who was um, involved with politics, and when Dallas first started. Cliff was a, a lawyer and on committees trying to, um, you know, stand up against J.R. and the Ewings. And over time, he would eventually even become an oil man. But at that time, he was going down the path of politics. And I found I really enjoyed your your scenes with Ken Kershaw as Cliff Barnes. Um, and I have to tell you, though. It really was such a horrible thing for uh, Jr. to have this scheme because all this funding that Cliff thought was there was not. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, you talk about how devious and evil uh, uh, Jr. was and all that. Well, you, you don't. It's about as completely opposite as he uh the actual Larry Hagman was about the most charming, funny, silly, just lighthearted guy and longtime married to his wonderful wife. Um, I think I went out to a, one party out there at, at their house and, and the, the people were just <laughs> as different as they could possibly be. So it was definitely acting and Patrick, too. Patrick is the, was the funniest guy of all of us. Uh, I mean, at that time, I, he's still pretty funny, but, and his character was so dry and kind of, you know, straight and you'd never imagine him saying a funny thing. And, and he, and he was the one that was cracking everybody up all the time. Very so it funny. sounds like they were having a lot of fun even back then. Oh boy. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Especially <laughs> those two, because they hadn't had a lot to do together, you know? So. Well, let me ask you something. Um, you know, the look, for lack of a better phrase, that the character of J.R. Ewing often had, 
when he's riled up and he's, um, you know, it's kind of like poking a stick at a sleeping dog or a snake even. But when that look uh, starts to uh, be seen, um, you know, many actors have, have had different responses to it. Um, uh, and I just wanted to know, what the, what was that like? Because you did have some of those scenes, especially near the end, where you would see that look. What is it like to experience a scene like that with Larry Hagman? Well, he's just looking at you, and his eyes are narrowing. The eyebrows go down, and if if you would have made sense of it and remembered what he'd done before, you'd know you were just about to get the trapdoor dropped out from under you. <laughs> but get you so the character would get your character so infuriated, you wouldn't think about it at all, and you'd be uh, just. <laughs> so angry you weren't really paying attention to what was going to happen to you. Well, Great manipulator. Absolutely. And it makes me think of that scene in the office shortly before JR was shot late at night in downtown Dallas, where basically uh, the detective brings you in. And, and then that's one of those moments where he tells your character to leave Dallas and, and you know, you could, your character was very, very upset. And um, I thought that they set that up well about having your character being a potential suspect. But I wanted to ask you, uh, th- you're actually the first guest that I, I'll be able to ask this about. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, the gentleman that portrayed the detective uh, that we've been discussing a little bit, uh, actor James Brown, who portrayed Harry McSween, uh, what was it like working with him? Well, they were, let me see if I can remember this. We were both, as you do, you kid around and get loose on the set, get ready to go. And the director, I think Lenny Katzman was the guy who was directing, possibly directing that episode. I can't remember it at this time. But uh, we did the scene and I uh was and he wanted a little more he said no 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 he's he's totally threatening you let him have it so i just went for me he went crazy and uh, uh james brown the, uh, the the detective was really helpful because he held on to me tight so i had to really get out of his grip and uh, everybody everybody really responded to that uh that was a really nice moment. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. Well, I'll tell you what. When you look back on his career, there's a man that worked, a, gosh, since I believe the early 40s. And, That's you know, right. it's always good to see an actor like that get, um, you know, some well-deserved screen time later on in his career. Yep. That's true. And this is a perfect time for me to ask you about your your moments with Jim Davis. If ever there was a man who put in his dues before Dallas, it was Jim Davis. Of course, Jock Ewing. And, right. uh, of course, your character did have uh, some scenes with him. What, what are your memories of, of Jim? Well, just a uh, really laid-back kind of guy and very very quiet, kind of a twinkle in his eye. He didn't really uh, uh, say a whole lot. You know, he was pretty quiet. That's what I remember about Jim. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Well, here's uh, someone that talked a lot, but I'm not sure what she was like behind the scenes, but I bet she was a lot of fun, and that's Charlene Tilton. And, you know, at first it kind of seemed like an odd pairing, and I only say that because, uh, you know, perhaps uh, at that time it just didn't seem like these two characters would be hooking up, so to speak. But, of course, Alan had uh, ulterior motives. But what was it like working with uh, Charlene? 
Oh, she's bubbly and lots of fun, and you know, very young girl there as, at that point. Uh, she was she was just having a lot of fun uh, doing this character, and um, we we had quite a bit of uh, uh, <laughs> uh, well, what can I say, risque behavior together, and those kind of scenes are always about as sexy as. I don't know, taken out the trash. It's just, it's, it's more technical than anything to get the yes. angles right for the, uh, for the camera and so forth. But she was, she was a good hard worker and, and, uh, and we had good fun. You sure did. And, and, you know, you talk about, um, a situation like that. So on, on average, were you on set for most of a day when you went to film a scene or did it just depend how much you were on the episode? It, it really depends on the episode. You know, this this kind of work, you you wait a lot, a long period of time, and they get you into costume and makeup early. Um, so you're sitting around waiting for, oh, you know, you can you can sit around and wait half the day, and then do your scene or scenes, and you might be done within a couple of hours. Uh, but uh, that's that's definitely part of the equation is uh, learning how to wait and conserve your energy. And uh, working with Ken, we discussed him earlier, but once again, I have to say, it was quite an adventure, just this whole campaign. You know, I mean, as a viewer, I was almost buying what Alan was selling, because he just seemed so sincere <laughs> that he wanted Cliff to win, and I just thought that was one of the most ultimate betrayals, um, you know, that the show presented in, in many ways, because it really did ruin his political ambitions, at least to a certain extent. And, and, and what are your memories of working with Ken? Ken, Ken I remember, is uh, uh, being really pretty serious about his work. And once we got a couple of good takes in the can, as it were, he would, he would uh, uh, come up with some jokes and, and uh, crack us all up a little bit. That's what I remember about Ken. Oh, well, that, that's nice. And um, well, I really appreciate you sharing all these memories today. A lot of fun memories and interesting memories. Did you um, hope, uh, I, I would say you probably did hope, but did you anticipate, I should say, returning for the next season? Um, or did you really feel that maybe your time on Dallas was coming to an end by the, the way that they were uh, uh, ending that season with the shooting? It, it really looked like, uh, um, I think when I took the job, it looked like about a year, and they extended it with this Bouchard JR episode and the one after that, I think. Uh, maybe one more after that. But I, I really didn't think that uh, it was going to last too much longer than that. That's it's just the way that uh, character's arc went. Now, you say you didn't know who shot JR as far as which uh, character did, um, but I assume that you probably figured out it wasn't you, correct? Because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't come to you and say, Randy, it's your character. I, you know, I don't even know if they told Mary before it aired, before wow. that episode aired. I'm not sure. I, I don't know because I, I wasn't the one. And you did have uh, some really um, good chemistry with Mary. The scenes that you had with her, I really enjoyed uh, uh, watching those scenes. And you know, she was very skilled and had really strong screen presence. What was it like working with Mary? I want to see. 
I can remember what uh, the thing that I remember actually about Marius was not uh, the work, but years later uh, we ran into each other of all places in Topanga Canyon. She was on a horse. I was hiking with my wife and my small son, I think at the time. And she was riding and it was just so great to see her again. And she was so friendly and just talking about what she'd been doing. And, uh, but it had been years since we'd done the show, but very friendly, uh, down to earth kind of person, uh, which, you know, from her background, she certainly wouldn't have to be, but she certainly was. Well, that's good to hear. Um, now, uh, after the shooter was revealed to be her character, the sister of Sue Ellen Ewing, uh, did you, um, and, and you were no longer on the show, did you continue to watch the show after you had left, or only every so often, or not at all? I'd, I'd say every so often, because, you know, you get to know... Uh, these actors and want to see what they're doing. And uh, so it would be kind of fun to have a look and see what they were doing. So I I would watch every so often, I guess I'd say. And Randy, you know, um, you're such a talented actor. And that's one reason I was so honored to have you be on the show, because I I really thought you did such a great job. But what do you think it is about Dallas, where here we are all these years, decades later, and for many, the show just remains so popular? What do you think are the elements that why people hang on to Dallas in in such a sentimental way? I think the reason that it's popular is that that maybe some of these characters and even the not so nice characters, which is most of the characters, (laughs) uh, you would have those desires, those impulses to act that way. But, of course, you're a good person and you don't do that. So maybe you get to watch somebody else do it without the consequences in your life. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the reason. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a great answer. Um, well, I have one of these questions that, you know, is probably the actor in me wanting to ask another actor. So let's say we were out having a drink somewhere. Randy, I might ask you this question. So I'll just ask you now. What do you personally think became of Alan Beam, the character, after he left Dallas? Or is that just something you don't really think about? Well, he went back to Chicago. And I would guess he got into a some kind of a, uh, a stock swindling scheme or something and probably spent a lot of his years in Joliet. I see. Which is a pr- that's a prison. So you think that he would have uh, continued to go down uh, that sort of path, so to speak? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he he, he had great uh, role models, didn't he, in Dallas? Yes, he did. The master himself. <laughs> and, you know, I have to tell you, Randy, in one way, although, of course, it worked uh, the what they did, but in one way, at first, I really thought your character was going to be a part of the show for a long time because I thought you would become – you know, to J.R., the the lawyer, in the way that Harry was as a detective. I thought that that's kind of what they were setting up, but it didn't turn out that way, did it? Well, it, it just circumstances with what was happening with, uh, with Ken. He had to get me out of town. And let me ask you um, another question about Larry Hagman. And you, you provided some wonderful memories of working with him. 
So let me ask you, and I, I understand that this is uh, not easy to remember after all these years, but in general, when you think about your first few scenes with him, um, you know, obviously there was I Dream of Jeannie before Dallas, um, and no doubt you are, are familiar with that, but, um, you know, when you think back to that, were you um, going, wow, this is a really big opportunity for me as an actor, or um, did you have any certain approach with your few, first few scenes with uh, Larry? Well, I was doing the regular kind of research you do with a, with a scene, you know, find out what your motivation is and what do you need from the other character. And I, I remember Larry just being super friendly and really, you know, what do you need and how can I make this work for you? And we talk it over and uh, just the most down to earth guy, the least like J.R. Ewing you could ever imagine. But uh, I, that, that's what I remember. Just a, a joy to work with that guy. Yes. Such a fun man from all the stories I've heard and, and, and very, very talented, no doubt about it. And, and do you have a particular memory about being on the show that stands out in your mind for you personally that is one of your favorites? Well, I think it would it would just be what I was talking about with how did they what are we going to do with these other two episodes? I see. And to see that one, it was the Who Shot Jr. and and then one other episode, and then it just blew up. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you remember back then. Uh, I was told that uh, everything just stopped in, say, Tel Aviv, the Friday night that uh, Dallas was on. Everybody stayed home and watched this show. I'm, I'm Dallas? Are you crazy? It was amazing. That that had to be the, the highlight. That that was that happened mm-hmm. out of just let's tack another episode on or two, you know. You described it so well because, I mean, many people did not answer their phones at 9 o'clock on Fridays. They would not answer the door, and they would even tell people in advance, do not contact me when (laughs) Dallas is on. Because, you know, folks, there there wasn't the Internet that we know today. There wasn't all this on demand. And if you missed it, you really did feel like you missed out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You You couldn't time shift it the way we do now. Well, you would go on to do so many other uh, uh, impressive uh, performances on other shows. And is there any other show that stands out in your mind that you just really enjoyed the overall experience? Well, uh, Logan's Run was was a lot of fun for me. I, I really enjoyed uh, working with Greg and Heather. God bless her. We've just lost her. Uh, the, the the people there. And that, that was just also, they had uh, the, the sets uh, still remaining from the movie Logan's Run with Michael York. Oh, wow. At MGM. And they said, look, these are extensive sets. Let's do something. Let's do a TV show. So it was another decision kind of made on the fly. Uh, and that one, of course, didn't last quite as long. I think 14 mm-hmm. episodes. But I'm, I'm a big sci-fi nut, so I really, really enjoyed working on actually doing sci-fi the the uh, ray guns were the first ones that actually shot fire wow uh, all, all all in self-contained unit i think or something the the uh, the armorer told me well um yeah 
so much fun. Um, I, I love sci-fi too, um, no doubt about it. And so you were very fortunate to be a part of so many wonderful experiences as an actor. I'd like to ask you from an acting standpoint, you have seen and worked with so many amazing people, so many different experiences. Is there a certain approach to acting as far as preparation that you feel is very, very important for an actor before he sets on this, you know, steps on the set or before he says his lines in, in front of the camera? I'm talking about preparing for the character. Is there something that really sticks out in your mind? Well, it's, I think the preparation is really a series of small steps. One of the first things I like to find out is what shoes does my character wear? Does my character wear? Because you have to find out how you move. And your shoes will really determine the way that happens. Um, it, are there any great fears that your character has? Is there something that he cannot control himself if he sees it he has to have it or something you just go through and just i don't know i my preparation is writing a great deal about the character making up as much as as i can about uh, his, his past and what makes him afraid what makes him excited i don't it's, know it's uh it's fun to prepare for a character isn't it um you know there's a lot more to it than some folks might realize there are some characters, I, I, I can't tell you now which ones, but I had more fun doing the preparation than the work. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Well, in life today, um, how much is acting a part of your life today? Uh, it's not a great part, not, except that I'm, I'm still obnoxious and loud and that sort of thing. But uh, Well, that hasn't changed, I, at least. No. We're still 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 uh, trying to be controlled. My my wife's probably the best person doing that, but then Kiwis are pretty good at doing that. So I would say, like I say, I, I'll go out on uh, commercial auditions occasionally mm-hmm. and do do one from time to time. It's really fun to do even a little bit of acting in a in a in a commercial, but uh, uh, pretty much just uh, working the job and uh, spending a lot of time with my kids and the and the family and. And uh, that's it. Well, Randy, uh, any production today would be um, so fortunate fortunate to have you be a part of the team. So I want to wish you the the best in your future uh, projects. And um, I just want to thank you so much for sharing all that you did today. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, sure, Stephen. It's great to think about this stuff again. Really, really, really enjoyable. Thanks for calling. Well, you are most welcome, and I want to thank the listeners out there as well. Uh, This host is feeling very grateful to have uh, spoken with my special guest today, Randy Powell, who uh, portrayed a character that so many of us will always remember. But beyond that, he has accomplished so many other amazing accomplishments. Thank you again, and I'll see you on another episode of Hollywood and Beyond.
send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon.